with you this morning, and uh, I don't want to preface a lot. I want to dive right in. I think God is just like really trying to stir something up in my heart, so I don't want to delay that. Um, turn your Bibles to Matthew 11 if you have one, either on your phone or um, a Bible you brought with you, and that's on page 476-ish if you're using one of our blue Bibles. I know I'm close. It's 470-something. Um, you should be by Matthew. You should be in Matthew if you turn to 470-something. We'll be in chapter 11. And we're going to read verses 28 through 30. What you're about to read is a a promise from Jesus that uh, I believe he is 100% going to keep. And uh, it's a too good to be true kind of promise. Um, So it's going to take a faith step for us to even believe he could even fulfill it. But I I really believe that God is inviting uh, us into something really special this morning and that uh, Jesus will keep his promise. And so um, let's read something too good to be true, but that is indeed true. Matthew 11, verse 28. It says, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. For I'm gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Does that sound good to anybody else? For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. I'm going to pray. God, we are more streamlined and more efficient than we've ever been in the history of the world. And yet, I sense in my own life and in our city, we are busier and more distracted. Things that were created to give us more space and more time have somehow filled up our calendars even more. And God, I just sense that so often we find ourselves discombobulated, uh, distracted, addicted. And the last thing that we feel in our souls is rest. But Jesus, you have made a promise that anyone who comes heavy laden, wore out, exhausted, that you will indeed give rest And Jesus, I don't know about anyone else in this room, I have a gut feeling, but I know at least for me, I would love to gain rest for my soul in your presence, to feel at peace. So God, I just ask you on behalf of our church family here this morning, that wherever we're at on the spiritual spectrum, wherever we're at in our belief of you, in you, Holy Spirit, would you just Speak to us and give us ears to hear your invitation into true and genuine rest. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, the powerful name of Jesus, we pray, amen. Um, man, I'm excited for this morning. I, this, is one of those, this is one of those weeks where God basically just like changed everything I was gonna say in the past like 48 hours, so who knows what's about to happen, but I think it's gonna be good. <laughs> Fingers crossed, prayers up. Um, yeah, uh, there was this time a couple years ago uh, in Uganda. Uh, I was 
traveling there with a team and we were in this village called Jaka. And uh, I mean, just at least for me, it was the middle of nowhere. Like there were a couple of huts every like hundred yards and you know, this wasn't a lot of people. Maybe I, I saw maybe like 50 people in that entire community and I'm in Uganda and there's been this like obviously significant time change. So I'm like pretty wore out. I'm preaching like six hours a day. We're like trying to train church planners to go and plant churches and make disciples. Like we're, our plan is to go there, give some training and then leave and then they're just gonna do their thing. And I was spending like six hours in a room, probably half this size and I'm wearing jeans and it's Uganda in the summer and I'm sweaty and I have no microphone, but I'm preaching to 100 people. I'm, I'm yelling, I'm preaching as hard as I can. And then after preaching for six hours and my just like sweat-soaked denim, we'd go walk around the village and, and meet people. And we'd spend just like hours and hours and hours either preaching or traveling and working. And man, I was exhausted at the end of every day. And uh, also side note, the spiders there are huge. Um, and uh, it was interesting, even though I would say in this like two week span, as I was going so hard and working hard and feeling exhausted, had no trouble falling asleep in the hot cot that I was sleeping in, like because I was so exhausted, I found myself, we were sitting in these chairs near the end of our trip and we had, we had headlamps and uh, it was really dark outside and we all just turned our headlamps off and just started to discuss and just hang out. And I remember this moment specifically where I felt more at peace than I had ever recalled feeling. I felt rested. I was dead tired. I was working hard, sweating a lot in the jeans. And, uh, but yet I found myself feeling really rested. And uh, you don't have to travel to Uganda and preach for six hours a day to know what I'm talking about. If you've ever had a moment where you've left the context of your home and went somewhere and, and you just like felt this feeling of, whoa, I didn't realize this, but I haven't relaxed in like six years. <laughs> and right now I'm feeling this level of rest and what do I gotta do to bottle this up and take this with me, right? And then you just think about going back to your home and you're like, there's no shot. I'm gonna do something good for like three days and then day four, normalcy is gonna set back and I'm gonna be tired again and I'm gonna forget that I'm tired and then in six years I'll feel this rest again and remember, oh, and then I'll, how do I do this again? I, I gotta take this with me and the cycle will continue. And the passage we just read this morning is Jesus saying, hey, that deep sense of rest that you long for, that you're thirsty for, is actually more available than you realize. It's attainable. You don't have to travel somewhere else. You don't have to leave your places of normalcy. In fact, God wants to bring this like, deep place of rest right here to your life right now. And I know this might sound too good to be true, but I'm, I'm here today believing that God is, is actually ready to offer this to us. And I wanna talk about a few things. Um, first, I, I wanna talk about how so often we settle for our version of rest and how I think Jesus is inviting us to surrender to his way of rest, okay? Um, surrender is an interesting word because to rest, that feels like a preference. Like I would never have to surrender to that. I'm gonna chase that. But I actually think that the way that Jesus brings the truest rest to your life will take some surrendering of your ideas and your concepts of what it looks like to, to rest. And so um, before I even dig into Jesus's ways, I want to talk about, I'm only going to talk about my own life here um, and, and give you some examples uh, from my life and how I settle for my idea of rest and how so often it leaves me out of breath after like 10 minutes, right? So this actually happened on Friday and I was like, whoa, this is such a microcosm of, of like the bigger picture of my life, how uh, so often I feel God calling me into something beautiful and I just am like, no, I'm gonna do my own thing. So I go to the office, I'm about to be vulnerable, all right? 
I need you to love me as I get vulnerable. Because I actually, I'm serious. I'm about to tell you something I haven't ever, like, I don't tell people, okay? We're going to mute this out of the podcast. Um, it's just going to go silent for like two minutes. Everyone's going to be like, what happened? Technical difficulty, all right? Uh, I got honest. Um, no. But uh, I was at the office. I went up there about 11 a.m. because I just felt like over the weekend, I, need, I was like, man, my sermon is just not there, but my heart is there. So how do I make those two things come together? And I got to my computer, and I just sensed in my heart, God was like, don't work on your sermon. Read, pray. Just be with me for a little bit. Like, don't, don't go to work yet. And I was like, oh, man, I, I could just feel it. I don't know if you ever had moments like these, but in my heart, I knew I am being asked to just sit in the presence of the Lord with no agenda, just to be with my father. And that is not my personality type. I'm like, nope, no agenda, no Joshua, right? I need an agenda, I need a task list. And so instead what I did was work on my sermon for eight minutes, get on YouTube. I watched this episode of Hard Knocks, which covers the Cleveland Browns this year. It was a free episode that HBO let me watch. It tracks the football team, everyone's mic'd up. You get to experience what training camp is like for a football team. It interests me, it only interests me, I think, in this whole room from what I can tell. <laughs> Maybe one or two others, but I, Jason, love you, brother. Man, let's get lunch or something. I just love that we're friends like that. Um, let's talk about Hard Knocks, it's been good. Um, watch Hard Knocks for like 30 minutes, and then I, I kept feeling it, like, I, I need to just be with the Lord. And you know what I did? I was like, no, and I was tired, and I was like, you know what I did? I went and got a five-hour energy from the gas station, because I was like, I don't want to go to the Lord. That's the vulnerable, I just got very vulnerable. The gas station five-hour energy was the thing I never wanted to tell anybody. But there's this thing in me that when I feel unsettled and like weird in my mood, I like to feel something. I don't like to go vulnerable and like embrace like the heart stuff, I actually like to go to substance. And so this actually, I think, stems from a deep addiction. I used to be heavy into drugs and a, just a lot of things in my life like seven years ago. That was a deep part of my heart. I have an addictive personality and it stems its way into like these like more shallow things that feel kind of lighthearted. But I went, I drank half a five-hour energy because I was like, a whole five-hour energy is a little extreme, but it, I started feeling better, you know what I mean? And, and I just lived the next three hours of my life really distracted. Now, I believe we all have our own versions of this story, okay? But I'm just giving you mine. Not all of you go, man, I'd really like a Red Bull right now, <laughs> like, and just go shotgun it, you know? But that's my thing, right? I love energy. I love feeling. And so often when I feel God calling me into, like, vulnerability and to, like, just, like, bear my soul in his presence and just be with my Father, who like he loves me so much, like he just wants to spend time with me. And my first thought is escape, is Netflix. I've eliminated Safari and social media because I'm trying my, because I've just recognized like Instagram, just give me. And I don't even think I want Instagram. I just don't want vulnerability with the Father. And I think I just like, I'm seeing this weekly, like, that is a tactic of the enemy because I know that I want the Lord. I do, I love God. I'm doing what I'm doing because I believe as you sit here today, that God is the way, like the truth and the life. I fully believe that. I'm so pumped about the Lord and what Jesus is doing in this church and in my life. But I just feel in the moments where God is trying to get just me, no agenda, no schedule, just me and him, like you would with your spouse or your best friend or the people you love the most, you don't need activity. You can just be on the couch. You need a couch and them and you're good to go, right? And so often when God's like, I want that with you, I want that sweetness with you. Like, I want that transparency with you. I'm like, anything but that, God. And I'm not saying that with my brain, but I'm paying attention to my activities, and I'm going, that is what I'm saying. I'm looking at my schedule and going, no, but that is what I'm saying. I'm saying anything but that. 
On the days where I finally find myself with a free schedule, I fill it up with weird things like hard knocks and five-hour energy. Like, what in the world? But I think that's saying something. I think so often we settle for rest. Think to yourself right now, what's your five-hour energy? (laughs) Hopefully it's not five-hour energy. I don't think it's a great habit. Um, It's like a once-every-three-week habit, okay, just to be clear. Um, but, But what's your thing? Whenever you find that space, what do you fill it with? I have a feeling sometimes it can be laundry. It can be going and washing your car. Good things, not calling these bad things. Hitting up your friends, hey, let's do something. There's so many moments, I think, where God's gonna whisper, this is your shot to come into my presence and just be, just be with me. Bear your soul in my presence. And we go, anything but that. We're never saying that, we're not malicious, but we are sinful, the enemy's at work, and we're like, oh man, something else. And Jesus is gonna say, hey, if you want rest, come into my presence. And in verse 29, he says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. There's a key step there. Not just going before God, but to take the yoke upon us and to learn from Jesus. And so I want to explore that today. Jesus, you were busy. I very rarely think anyone was asking you how your soul was doing. Hey, Jesus, how you doing? You never think anyone's asking Jesus that, right? And yet, Jesus, I would say, had potentially not their best soul care from his community. And yet, he makes this promise in the midst of the chaos of ministry, of the cross in his future, And yet he says, hey, you come to me, I've got access to a rest for your soul. Jesus, why could you say that? So in verse 29, he says, take the yoke upon me. I'm gonna explain this the best way I can, which isn't gonna be a great way, but what is a yoke, all right? First of all, it's Y-O-K-E, not like egg yolk, right? I made that mistake in my notes, (laughs) I had yolk. I was like, that's confusing, it's not an egg, okay? A yolk, so uh, I'm gonna be as brief as I can here, but oxen would, uh, two oxen at the same time, would have this like wooden neck, brace-looking contraption, right, that would pull a plow behind them. And so a yoke would streamline how the oxen would pull the weight behind them so that fields could be plowed. Does that make sense? The yoke was the mechanism that made plowing possible, right? When Jesus says, take my yoke upon you, so often we feel he's saying, I want to add weight to your life. Hey, you're already carrying a lot. Let me sit on top of it and just pull hard, pull as hard as you can. And I feel like so often when we're in these settings and I'm like, hey, God has more, you're like, I don't have room for more. (laughs) I can't add more to my life. And we're misunderstanding how God works. God is not trying to add weight to your life. God is trying to transform how you carry the weight you're already carrying. That's what a yoke does, right? Uh, Another image that may make it uh, more clear here for uh, at least one or two moms, there's at least two moms here that I saw, but you know those little baby sling things? where that you guys can just like carry a baby handless, just like walking around and the baby's just like right here, right? I don't know, do you have one of those, Beth? Is it helpful? Is it way different than holding it in your arm, right? However, the weight is the, cha- the, the same, right? The baby didn't get lighter, right? That technology I don't think exists, right? So it's like, but what happened was the weight was distributed differently. Jesus is gonna say, hey, you're already carrying weight. You already got so much on your heart. Let me teach you how to carry that weight. Let me inform how you respond to the burden of life. I'm just gonna tell you. He goes, learn from me. And so I started asking, okay, Jesus, you say learn from me. How do I do this? The thing that came in my heart, there are three relationships that I watched Jesus give priority to. I believe Jesus was so good at giving first place energy to first place things. He was very persistent with this. 
very intentional. If it was not first place, it did not get first place energy. There's three areas where I think he really poured into this. I'm gonna talk about one of them because I think it's the most important and I think Jesus would fully agree because of the things that Jesus says. Three areas. One, relationship with the Father. That's where we're gonna sit today. Two, relationship with his disciples. Being with people that follow God. And three, being with people that don't know the goodness of God. That was like Jesus is like, you just watch his life. Almost everything he does is feeding into one of those three things. Like God, people that are after the heart of God, or people that don't know God yet, right? Which, for the record, covers everybody that exists, right? <laughs> so Jesus um, did this. But I, I wanted to stop at intimacy with the Father. Jesus was so intimate with the Father. That was his first place priority. And if you'll pay attention, you'll miss it if you don't, because it's a private aspect of Jesus's life. So we don't get a ton of insight. We just get moments where it says he was doing it. But, but since it's an inner closet thing, and that's something I think we should take note of, not a lot of people knew what was going on. All you see is record of, you have people like that, right? You're like, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing something with the Lord. Like, they haven't told me their schedule, they haven't told me their rhythms, but I know someone who is intimate with their creator. I, I feel it every time they say, even when they're joking, I can tell that's anointing. Like, they just love the Lord, right? <laughs> I really have friends like that. I'm like, even your joking is just like cloaked in innocence and just like sweetness of the Lord. And so uh, I wanna look into Jesus's rhythms and things that we can so easily overlook, just specifically with intimacy with God. Now, note the word intimacy, okay? I didn't say quiet time. I didn't say devotionals. I didn't say things like that. Those things fit under the umbrella of intimacy. With intimacy comes things like reading scripture and praying. But the word intimacy is important because it's emphasizing relationship. And so often I believe even in our quiet times, we box God out of relationship. We do our thing because we're a systematized people. We've got a schedule. Here's my 10. Thank you, uh, my, my, what's that upward, onward for his highest? What is that thing? Upmost for his highest, onward. I work for a onward. Anyway, my onward for his highest. Never mind. But we so often do this with the Father. Like we're like, hey, I'll give you some, but I'm not giving you the thing that I give the people I love the most. My heart. I'm not going to bear my soul. I think we can learn something from Jesus. So I'm going to give a few examples, and then we're going to go to communion, and this is going to be simple. But I, I just feel in my heart, there is so much at the table for you in your private places with the Lord. Just so much. And so first example, I, I'd encourage you to write these references down. Just remember them so you can revisit them later. But Mark chapter 1 from the very beginning, before Jesus' ministry, okay? He's gonna be baptized, and there's gonna be this miracle happen. God is gonna speak. He's gonna say, this is my son and whom I'm well pleased. God's gonna say quite simply, he exists, he's my son, and because of that, I'm pleased. Side note, that is also your reality, all right? This is my son and whom I'm well pleased. Relationship with God starts with God loving you and being pleased with you. Okay, that's a big deal. That thought alone is a sermon series on how we approach the presence of God. We approach a God who is pleased. Like, that's, that's the deal. And so, this is my son whom I'm well pleased. And before Jesus does anything, it says the spirit leads him to the wilderness and he prays and he fasts for 40 days. Let me tell you how long it takes me to get my prayer requests out of the way. 20 minutes max, right? Then I've got 39 days, 23 hours, and 40 minutes left if I'm doing Jesus's prayer schedule. <laughs> I'm like, Jesus, what were you doing? Like, what, what, after like three hours, were you just 
literally kicking rocks, because that's about all that's in Israel. It's like, you know, at that time. Uh, a lot of just, you know, uh, not, not now. It's a great city. Uh, I've been there. It's great. Love it. Beautiful. Um, but I was like, Jesus, what were you up to for 40 days? What did it look like for the Son of God to spend 40 days with the Father? That in itself testifies there was a real working, like, relationship, friendship with God. And what's interesting is his 40 days of praying and fasting ends with a really important story that you can find very briefly in Mark 1 and more elaborated in Matthew 4. There's this temptation. The enemy comes. Side note, intimacy with God will bring the enemy's attention to your life. That can happen, right? Doesn't mean you're, you're distant from God. It means the enemy, enemy understands your closeness with the one he's trying to, you know, like war against. So the enemy comes, tempts him, and what does Jesus do? He overcomes temptation with what? Scripture and trust in the truthfulness of the Father. He responds three different times. And potentially, this is like one of the weakest moments of Jesus' life. He's been fasting for 40 days. And the first thing the enemy goes is, you could turn that stone into like really hot bread, like fresh rolls. Want it? And Jesus, in confidence, why is he he able to do that? Out of intimacy with the Father becomes an awareness of all the things that are trying to take away from intimacy with the Father, right? Right? The enemy was trying to rob Jesus of what made Jesus Jesus, his sonship to the Father. Like the one thing that can can put distance between us and God is sin. And the enemy comes in and Jesus is so aware, out of intimacy, comes this amazing moment. Also, let's not discount. uh, I know Jesus is Jesus, so it's easy to overlook how powerful this is. This is really powerful. Jesus was fully God, fully a man. I think he's making these decisions and it's so important. Later on in Mark chapter one, Jesus has just begun his ministry, okay? The chaos of ministry is about to begin. When you're Jesus, you very quickly attract attention because like you raise people from the dead. And so people are aware of the potency and the power of Jesus's ministry. And the disciples wake up. It's interesting. There's 12 disciples, one Jesus. We got 13 total. And out of the 13, 12 of the people wake up immediately aware of the needs around them. Immediately panicked. Where is Jesus? People need healing and they're asking for Jesus my step, find Jesus, right? The only one of the 13 doing something a little unique is Jesus himself. They find him praying alone. He had gotten up before everyone else woke up, before he checked email, before he checked Instagram, before he went to the village to find all the needy people that he knew he could help. He goes and he's alone with the Father. Jesus' schedule had the answer to his intimacy with the Father. That's just how it was. And no one was busier than Jesus. No one was more aware of the stress and the pressure of a broken world than Jesus. And yet we find the disciples wake up losing their mind. Where's Jesus? Okay, yeah, I'm going to get him. I know. I know your son's deaf. I'm going to get there. I know. Your daughter's blind. I got you. All right. Hey, Jesus. This is not good, Jesus. A lot of people over here. A lot of things begging for my attention. A lot of busyness. A lot of chaos. Like, we better fix this thing. Like, let's just fix it. Okay, actually, you know what? Never mind. Never mind. Let me just scroll on Instagram and just pretend this whole thing is not happening. Like, okay. Like, and where's Jesus? He's alone with the Father. He starts there. Always. It's so easy to overlook that. There's an anchor happening here. He's so intimate with the Father. And I love this because Jesus' response when the disciples find him. He doesn't go, oh my gosh, uh, okay, yeah, let's do it. My goodness, I guess I have to. Like, he doesn't go, no, I don't, I don't have this. He's like, no, he goes, okay, we gotta go to the next village. Like the gospel is moving forward. He's ready. There's so much on his mind where he could go, I'm too busy, this is too stressful, but he's just ready to move. Out of intimacy with God comes this like weird rest that's really hard to understand. There's another moment in Matthew chapter 14. 
This is another one that's so easy to overlook. John the Baptist is one of Jesus' closest friends and followers, and John the Baptist is killed for his faith, okay? Murdered. So um, I, have, I have lost loved ones. I've lost friends. If you've ever done that, remember the turmoil of that moment, right? It's just like, it's dizzying, it's surreal, it's weird, it's so odd and, and heartbreaking, and this has just happened to Jesus. It's so easy to overlook. John the Baptist has died. Jesus was like friend, close friends, with John the Baptist, potentially grew up with John the Baptist, right? Before John the Baptist went to the wilderness and started eating locusts, because that's what he did. Um, But Jesus hears the news, and it says, right after it tells us that John the Baptist has died, that Jesus hears the news, he gets on a boat, and he seeks to go to solitude. He seeks to go to an isolated place. In the midst of pain and turmoil, he goes, I need the Father, right? It doesn't say he's going to pray. You can just guess whenever Jesus is going alone, every time we see him alone, he's just praying with the Father. That's his response. As he's going, incredible moment, crowds follow him. And the crowds are not following him to ask about his soul, to see if they can provide for him, to see how he's doing. Jesus, we just heard the news, you all right? No, the crowds follow him because they are in need. They want something from him. Now, to be clear, Jesus is a good person to want something from because he's like, he's a giver of really good things. But these people follow him Jesus' response, note this, he responds with compassion. It's in Matthew 14, read that story, it's powerful. It's easy to overlook this. Of course Jesus responds with compassion. It's Jesus, that's all he ever does. His, one of his closest friends had just died. The chaos of ministry will not leave him alone. How does he respond with compassion? Where is that coming from? There is something special about what happens in the inner closet, in the private places with us and God. Jesus sees them and sees his image in them and responds with compassion. Do you know what I do when I'm busy, much less my friend has died? Like, if I'm busy and you're like, hey, I'd love to get coffee. I'm like, hey, we'll do it in three months, okay? Like, not right now. I'm busy. Do you not? How often I'm thinking, if they even knew my schedule, they just have no idea. They just talk to me like I'm not busy. That is like my bitter heart. I don't know what it is. I don't know if I love myself. That's probably true. If I'm living into some facade that I'm busier than I am, that's probably true. There's a lot going on there. But so often, I just feel like bitterness of, you don't even wanna know me. Jesus is in the perfect position to go, you guys don't understand. And yet, he responds with compassion. There is something to be said about the intimate places with the Father that turns our hearts from selfish to selfless. Jesus was tapping into this like everlasting love that I think is really powerful. I wanna keep going. I really wanna drive this home. John chapter 17, Jesus spends his final hours of his life praying. This is right before he's gonna be arrested and crucified. And if you'll go to John 17, you'll see Jesus just praying up a storm. And it's really interesting. He's praying for other people. He understands that within like five hours, he's gonna meet the end of his life. He's gonna be tortured, He's gonna die, that is going to happen. He knows it, he's talked about it. And yet, we see some of his final words of his life before crucifixion is praying for his disciples. There is something special that happens in the presence of God, where early on in our journey, we might find ourselves, God, I need, I need, I need, I need. But as we continue to go closer to the heart of God, he does something to our hearts where we come before God and we go, hey, they need, they need, they need. We pray for them, pray for them, pray for them. There was something about being before the Father um, that transformed, uh, that just transforms hearts. Last example, Mark 14, 
This is a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. This is in a similar moment. John includes this prayer for the disciples, but Jesus is going before the Garden. He is now like hours, minutes away from being arrested, and his instinct is to go to the Garden of Gethsemane with his disciples, and he tells them, hey, stay back here, I'm gonna go pray. That's where he prays this amazing prayer, Abba, Father, like anything's possible. Take this cup from me, not my will, but your will be done. This is the most distressed and stressed point of all of scripture. There is no point in scripture where stress is described the way it's described in Mark 14. Jesus says he was distressed to the point of death. I don't know what that feels like, I know I haven't felt it. I don't think any of us have felt quite that much stress and yet his impulse is not to escape. All the disciples ran, they all run. (laughs) Jesus had feet, that was his option. He also had the power of like flight and like just going back to heaven, right? (laughs) That was his option and yet out of a place of prayer, He's the only one that sticks around and he's the one that's gonna be arrested and submits himself because he knows the will of the Father is the way to life for me and life for the world. There is something miraculous and amazing that happens when we build a life that is centered around intimacy with God. This teaching is too simple. I want something that's gonna blow your mind more. I want a snappy story that's gonna go, oh my gosh, whoa, like, oh man. Dude, all I, dude, all I, dude, listen, all I feel this morning is this heart that like just wants to plead. Don't underestimate the power of a life spent with God in the private places. There are moments for Jesus where I feel like he went to the private place, and a lot of us would have said, would have said he came up empty-handed. The garden's one of them. Remove this cup if you will, but not my will, but your will be done. God did not remove the cup. Thanks be to God, it was my salvation on the other end of that. But God did not remove the cup. There is just something powerful on the other side of us spending our lives chasing the most intimate places with God. And I just wanna say this, you're not always gonna achieve anything. That was never the point. Very few people are ever gonna know about it. That's kind of the point. You ever thought about this? Do you have secrets with God? Is there things that you and God only talk about? I'm an external processor, so my answer is normally no. (laughs) Anytime something cool happens, I'm like, yo, (laughs) hey, I don't even know what this means, but God said something, I'll figure it out later. And how cool is that? You know, that's kind of my thing. But that question really rocked my world a few, like probably a year ago. Do you have secrets with the Lord? Have you built that? And some of this I understand might feel so overwhelming. You're like, look, I struggle to even read, and when I do, I read like the book of Deuteronomy, and I don't know what's going on. <laughs> I'm lost. And, and, I, really, and I, I, I hear that, and I'd love to talk more about what it looks like to just like, take your next step with the Lord. But Jesus was an expert at giving first place energy to first place things, and nothing was more important to Jesus than intimacy with the Father. And I wanna say this to us in a loving way, you are not busier than Jesus. You do not have more stress than Jesus. I promise you are not carrying the weight of the world on your shoulders. You are walking with stress. I am not, I am too, I feel you. And I, there's some stress that you have that I don't relate to. It's more, I don't have the capacity. Hopefully God will get me there one day, right? So I'm not demeaning what you're carrying. Jesus, I believe, carried the most potential stress, the most potential worry and said, come to me, all who are heavy laden, I've got access to something and I'll give it to you. I'll give you rest. He's like, dude, I take naps 
on ships in the open seas while thunderstorms are at their worst. The people that are awake are frightened to death. Jesus, if you don't wake up, this thing's gonna capsize. Jesus is like, all right, I'm up. Stop, and it stops, right? He's just chilling like that. He just like has it like that. He's just walking on water like, I'm not worried. This is concrete to me, right? That's the Jesus we serve. I don't believe we're more stressed than him. I believe in some ways our choices are creating environments that invite stress. And I wanna talk about that for just a second, then we'll go to communion, okay? There is a, uh, I printed out a handout. It's on the connect table uh, on the front porch. It's this spiritual calendar. And it's called spiritual calendar because I'm inviting you to think about your spirit. That's really, you know, just examine your life with the Lord. But it's a calendar. It's really basic, okay? I wanna invite us to think about something practical because so often it's like, okay, I, I hear this invitation to dive deep with the Lord. Ah, what am I gonna do? This week, I wanna invite our church, our family, into a week of exploration. No fixes yet, just exploration, okay? I brought these calendars and they're in the back and you can grab one on your way out or if you have your own calendar, do it. I wanna invite us to ask the question, what is most important to my life in 60 years? What do I hope I spent the most time on? And then this week, quite simply, I want us to, at the end of every day, or at the end of every three or four days, whatever's doable for you, I want you to go back, look at how you spent your time. That calendar has every hour marked. You can literally write down. I'm talking, write down everything. Don't write what you wish it would have been, what the like overconfident part of you thinks it was, write the real things. Hey, for three hours, I, I watched The Office and it was epic. Maybe not a great use of my time, but I loved every minute of it, right? That's my, that can be me some nights, right? It's like, but log everything and be honest. And then at the end of the week, next week we're gonna have a cool week. Uh, I'm gonna invite uh, Brent and, and Lisa Baldwin, who are one of our elders uh, and, and his family. And I'm gonna come up and sit with Brent and Lisa Baldwin who have kids who are just like living for the Lord and are having to say yes to things and no to things and have lived into some like struggles that come with family and jobs and all these things. And we're gonna try to really bring it down to the ground. Hey, let's just in real time talk to a couple who's got a lot on their plate. What's it look like to like see the calendar as is and then make adjustments? Like, what have you learned? What's it gone through? And I wanna just bring it to the ground, but this week is just an explore week where we ask ourselves, what do I care the most about? If I get the chance to reflect before I die, what do I hope I spent my time on? And then this week we're gonna go, what am I spending my time on? Now, there's gonna be certain things that you can't change. Jobs are a thing, right? You can't change that, right? So don't be condemned by the things that have to be there. Those are good things. But anyway, keep a log. You get what I'm saying. Okay. I wanna ask a couple questions. Because the main question is, how do we step into the promise of Jesus in Matthew 11? Will we be a people that work from rest or rest from work. Those can be really different. We be a people that, that prioritize being with the Father and out of the presence of God, we go and take care of what the day is asking of us. There's something magnificent that happens when we work from rest, from being with the Lord, then, then going, oh, wow, I'm really exhausted. I should probably get alone with God, right? Those are different. Will we learn how to say no to good things in order to say yes to the best things. I think so often that's actually what we're dealing with. I really believe, like I, I know a lot of you, at least on some level, and I, you guys are incredible. I mean, we're amazing. I just love y'all. I just think y'all are amazing. So many of y'all are just game changers. Every time I talk to you, I'm just excited. A lot of times, there are gonna be some things that are bad things. There are gonna be addictions, some entertainment stuff that I think are gonna be bad things that you just need to say no to and just cast it out. But a lot of times, I think you're gonna find yourself going, I'm saying yes to 17 people. How do I say yes to like three people? 
you know? Like, I'm saying yes to these seven activities. I'm gonna take that down to four so I have space for this. So what are some good things you need to say no to um, so you can say yes to the most important things, okay? Will we examine our lives and trim away the things that keep us from intimacy with the Father? Because Jesus will deliver on his promise. He will bring rest, okay? Um, yeah, so... I saw a quote this week that I thought was helpful. Uh, my girlfriend actually screenshot it and sent it to me. I just happened to be preaching on this. It said, underwhelm your schedules so God can overwhelm your soul. I thought that was powerful. I think that's true. Um, yeah, so uh, those calendars are at the back. Um, for now, we're gonna go into communion and I'm gonna ask one simple question. Where do I hope the majority of my time goes? Just where do I hope the majority of my time goes? And that pray that God helps you invest your time there. The things that are most important to you, communion is gonna be centered around thanking God for Jesus and his life and then praying, God, there's things that I think are most important. Will you give me the wisdom and understanding on how to pursue those things intentionally? That may include trimming away some things. This, um, oh, this is the calendar. I forgot, I was gonna show it to you and it says spiritual calendar on the back because it's a calendar that talks about spiritual things. Um, this teaching's so simple I really just told you to really start exploring time with God. I think it will, um, this is the greatest return on investment here. So yeah, thanks for, thanks for listening. Thanks for being engaged. I like felt your attentiveness and that's so helpful for me when I'm like really passionate because if I start feeling like I'm losing you, I'm like, oh crap, they don't care. They don't like what I'm saying and it's discouraging. So thank you for being such a good family. You always just like, yeah, encourage me as you listen. So yeah, I'm gonna pray. We'll go to communion. What are the most important things? How do we pursue them? Help, uh, God help us. So Lord, we bring this before you. For some of us, intimacy with you uh, feels really foreign. Don't be, um, you are not a uh, child of God. You are not, um, you're not condemned by other people's journeys. So like if you're going, oh, I'm so far from where Joshua is or where so-and-so is, um, Jesus, like remember that Mark 1 passage, this is my son, this is my daughter and who I'm well pleased. God is pleased because you have a heartbeat, because you are breathing, because you exist. Um, so God, I just pray, would you help everyone, no matter, even people that are here that go, I don't even believe in God. Um, would you help, help us all just to take our next step toward you? Jesus, thank you for being a, uh, a deliverer on the promises you make. You are. God, give us patience with ourselves, <laughs> endurance. Everything in our culture is so immediate and fast. And I think you're inviting us into a slow work, a slow and patient work where you just slowly build relationship. It's like, I don't sit down at a coffee table with one person and expect us to be the best of friends right off the bat. So God, I just pray, would you help us to be patient as we build new rhythms and trust your words as we continue to come before you. I, kn I know people that have been on journey with you for so long, so I know you're a truth teller. I've seen the fruit. I've seen the results of intimacy. For someone like me or for people here that are, are on like the, the earlier side of that adventure, God, will you just give us patience and, and courage and persistence? Illuminate, God, where there's space. For some of us, we're like, there's no space. Would you help us um, to see where maybe there is space or where we can trim away? Help us to be a people, yeah, to just love you. In Jesus' name, amen.